Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Very good. Before we, uh, before we dive in, I want to uh, just really, really quickly uh, welcome a brand new, I'm going to say, member of our, uh, of our church family here. We have got little one-week-plus-old Tessa Bond with us this morning for the first time. So we want to say welcome to her. We are excited for the Bond family. Uh, everybody's doing really good and all that kind of stuff. So uh, be sure to welcome them and say hello to little Tessa this morning. All right, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab that and uh, turn to the book of Numbers. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started and just dive on in. Um, we're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 12. Now, Numbers is a book in your Bible, I promise. It's, it's in there. Uh, not one that gets preached a whole lot, I don't think. I'm not sh- quite sure why Rick did this to me, but... Anyway, um, that's where we're at. Numbers, fourth book of the Bible, and we're actually in the fourth part of our current sermon series that we're calling Suddenly. And uh, just as suddenly as this sermon series started, it's going to end as well. Next week, we'll wrap it up, and Rick will be doing that. So as you're looking for that, so far in the series, what we've seen is that God can and will work very, very suddenly in our lives. Okay, he will, he will show up in times that uh, in very big and decisive ways in our lives, he will, um, we've seen how he can do any and everything that he wants to do at any given time. Okay, we saw that with Peter, right? Peter's in prison and God literally delivers him out of there. Only God could do that. Okay, so God can do any and everything that he wants to do any time he wants to do it. Okay, and there's nothing that can stop him. There's no force on this planet or outside of this planet that can stop or hinder God from doing whatever it is that he wants to do. And in that, even in that, in the fact that he can do all those things, he can suddenly show up in our lives, rescue us, deliver us out of any kind of issue or situation we find ourselves in. He can enter into our lives very suddenly, intervene to protect us. If there's some danger lurking in the wings that we don't know about, he can come in and do all those kind of things for us. So, like a loving father that he is, like this loving father that God is to us, he can and oftentimes will suddenly just pop into our life when we least expect it. Now, it's not suddenly to him, it's suddenly to us, okay? So, it's suddenly from our perspective. Let's just go ahead and get that straight. But he can suddenly pop in there for any kind of benefit that might we, we might have to bless us, to care for us, to look after us, protect us, so forth and so on. We can go on and on and on with all the things that God can do in those sudden, sudden moments. And all that stuff is very good, and it's exactly what we long for God to do, right? We want him to protect us. We want him to be there for us. We want him to provide for us and do all these different things. All right, so those are things we long for him to do. We would even ask him to do those things. Please, God, I need you now. That kind of thing, right? So we want him to do those kind of things. But there's something else that we don't necessarily want to talk about. We don't necessarily want to even ask God for. But it is very clearly something that he will step in and do very, very suddenly in our lives. And that is he will step in and he will correct us. He will step in, he will punish us even. He will discipline us. And he will do that oftentimes very suddenly. When we least expect it, he will step in and do that kind of thing. And that's not the kind of thing we want him showing up for, right? Those are, those are not the kind of times that we're like, oh, thank you, God, you're here. No, you are not 
looking for that. Any other time, yes, you're welcoming his presence. You want him there. Yes, you're getting some kind of benefit. You're getting some kind of good that you perceive from it. And we all want to be blessed real good, right? We all want to be blessed. That's, that's what we do want. But when it's a matter of discipline or correction, God, you can stay over there. You know, I don't necessarily want you here right now because of what I'm doing or this situation I find myself in when I'm being disobedient or those kind of times. We, don't, we want him to stay at arm's length in those kind of situations. But here's the thing. Even in those times when he does step in, even in those times when he suddenly shows up and we're like, uh-oh, it is for our good. It is for our good. It's for our benefit. It is to better us, even in those times. We may not see it that way to begin with, but it is for our good. Those moments truly are just as crucial to our sanctification, to our growth as a follower of Jesus as the times when he shows up when everything's good and he shows up to do those big things that protect us and, and guide us and lead us and, and those kind of things. They're just as crucial for him to come in and say, no, you're doing wrong. You need to change. You need to do something different. Okay, those times are just as important to our sanctification. And that's hopefully what I want us to see as we look at Numbers chapter 12 today. Okay, so as we look at this chapter that God can suddenly show up and bring punishment, correction, discipline, those kind of things. But it's not because he's some tyrant up there that is looking for you to do anything wrong so he can zap you down. Okay, I know that is a prominent thought that people have from time to time, but that is not how God works. And I can tell you we know that's not how God works. And I can tell you that because... We are all sitting here right now. We're all sitting in this place, breathing breath into our body, and we have not totally been annihilated by God. So we know he doesn't work that way. And here's why. Because today, since you woke up, you and I have already done something deserving of getting zapped down. Right? We've all done it. If we're honest, we have all done something that would deserve him going ahead and taking us out. And I know that because, one, it's Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning, you get up, you're trying to get to church, trying to get ready, and everything goes crazy. That's just the way it works. In our house, that is clearly the way it works. Some days are better than others, but that's when sin really manifests itself. That's when the selfishness comes out. You know, I don't want to get out of bed, I don't want to wear that, whatever it might be. That's the stuff that comes out on those Sunday mornings especially. And they come out through the rest of the week as well. And then if it didn't happen at home between waking up and leaving, I guarantee you it happened on, in the car on the way here, right? You're running late, somebody in front of you driving too slow and you're going off on them, whatever it might be, something has happened that is causing you to be deserving of the punishment that God has for us or could have for us. And we could just go on and on and on with all that kind of stuff. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't immediately take us out when we do the slightest thing wrong. That's not how he works. He does not do that. Instead, he gives us chance after chance after chance. Okay, and we're all here right now, and we're opening up God's word, and we're going to read, and we're going to see how he loves us and how he cares for us and how he looks after us and all those kind of things, even when it involves a trip to the woodshed. All right? Can we do that? Can we? I hope that's what we can see 
this morning. And it can be a very good thing. Those, those trips to the woodshed can be very good. They can be painful sometimes. They're not necessarily the funnest things in the world to go through, but they can be a very, very good thing. So let's look at our, let's look at our chapter here. Let's go ahead and dig in. Uh, Numbers chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 1, and uh, we'll read a couple of verses here. <clears throat> then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. All right, let's stop right there. Now, when I read this, I get the sense that this is a very private conversation, okay? Like conversations like this typically go. You're having a conversation with somebody, you're talking about somebody else, and you want that to be private. You want that to be just between the two of you. You don't want everybody in the world hearing it and all that kind of stuff. So I just get the sense here that Miriam and Aaron are having this conversation. They're talking about Moses, and they don't want anybody to know it at this moment, okay? That's just the impression that I get. And we'll see later on that we will clearly know that they did not want anybody to hear it, and they're going to regret that they had it, all right? So we're going to see that in a few minutes. But nonetheless, here they are. They're talking about Moses. They're questioning his leadership, okay? They're questioning his leading the people, all right? Now, we got to understand Moses, Moses is God's man, all right? Moses is God's man. He chose him to do a very specific task, and that is to go into Egypt, get the Israelites out of slavery, deliver them from that, take them through the wilderness to the promised land, the place that God has promised to his people. All right, that is Moses' task. So he's got this very specific task. But now we see Miriam and Aaron, who are, by the way, his older brother and sister. Okay, so Miriam is his older sister, Aaron is Moses' older brother, who were also very prominent leaders in the Israelite people. Okay, Miriam is called a prophetess. She leads the women. She is a very prominent leader in the, in the family there. And Aaron, he's the high priest. I mean, he has got a very high spiritual leadership role within the Israelite people. Okay, so they, they, know, they know who they are. They know what God is doing with them, but they're questioning what God is doing with Moses and why he's the only one that gets some sort of special calling or whatever. They're wondering what makes, it so, what makes him so special. Now, the point I want to make here is not so much what they're talking about as much as who heard it. Because what does it say at the end of verse 2? Who heard what they were saying? Who heard it? The Lord heard it. Exactly. So this also, just the fact that it calls that out makes me think again, that they didn't want anybody hearing this. They didn't want anybody knowing that this conversation was going on, but the Lord heard it. Okay, so the Lord heard what they were saying, whether anyone else did or not. And this is the same for us today too. The Lord hears and knows everything that we say, everything that's on our hearts, everything about us. He already knows all those things because he is God. Okay, so the first point, the first point of this message out of this chapter, and I want you to get this. You ain't hiding nothing from God. All right, you may want to write that down. Incorrect grammar and all, all right? You ain't hiding nothing from God. It ain't happening. You might think you are. You might think you're getting away with something or whatever, but you are clearly not hiding anything from him. 
There's nothing that he doesn't know. There's nothing that he is not completely and totally aware of. And here's why I say that. And Rick made this point last week too, so I'm not going to hang out here too long. All right, but he, he quoted Psalm chapter 139, verse 4. Okay, he quoted that and he was talking about how God knows all of our words. I want us to go back to that psalm really quickly, and we're going to look at a few verses. I just want to read them. And this is just going to drive home this point that God knows everything about us at every moment of our lives, no matter what. Okay? So let's look at Psalm 139. You don't have to flip there. It'll be on the screen. Just uh, follow along and read with me as I read this psalm. We're going to read the first 10 verses, and then we're going to skip down and look at verse number 16. This is what the psalmist writes. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. And then verse 4 that Rick said last week, even before a word was on my tongue, behold, oh, Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. And laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in death, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the most re- the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. And then skip down to verse 16. He says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was none of them. Little Tessa, a week ago, a week and a half ago or so, she was in the womb. Before she was ever birthed, everything about that child, her entire life, God knows it. He knows it. He is everywhere all the time, okay? We cannot hide from God. He is everywhere. He's in the past. He's in the present. He's in the future. All at the same time because he's God, okay? No matter what we have done, what we're doing right now, or what we're going to do in the future, he already knows all those things. He knows everything about us. He knows us more intimately than we even know ourselves, Okay, everything about us, he already knows those things. Here's the good thing. All right, now some of us may be saying that is bad. That is not good that God knows all that stuff about me. Okay, but here's the good part. He does know all of it. He still loves you. He still loves you. And there's no picture of that greater than the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how you know he loves you. One, he doesn't take you out. Okay, you continue to live and breathe breath into your body. And Jesus died on the cross for you. That's how you can know that he loves you. He cares for you. And he cares so much. He cares so much for us that a part of that love, a part of that love that he has for us is that he wants us to be like him. Right? He wants us to be like him. He wants us to be holy, righteous. In order to do that, things got to get corrected because we're not that way. So he's got to do things to correct us, okay? So that's when he suddenly will step in sometimes to fix us, to correct us, to steer us the right way, to discipline us, all those kind of things. You flowing with me? Picking up what I'm laying down? All right. 
Let's continue looking in Numbers chapter 12 here. Numbers chapter 12, starting in verse number 3, and we'll uh, read down to verse number 10. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Suddenly, there's our word, suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in... Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam. When they both had come forward, he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. Different than a prophet, my servant Moses, okay? Who is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. Did I skip something there? No, I didn't. And he beholds, and he beholds the form of the Lord. He has a view of God, a vision of God, things with God that nobody else does, okay? Nobody else has seen the form of the Lord. Moses is different. And he continues on. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed but when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. All right, so the second thing that we see in this chapter, as we read through here, the second thing that we see is that the Lord will often act very suddenly in stepping in to correct us, okay? He will suddenly intervene in a situation and correct us in our thinking and what we're doing. He will discipline us, all those kind of things. And that's what happens here, okay? God suddenly walks into this particular situation. And there's two, there's two quick things I want us to, to draw from these couple of verses, okay? So remember what we said, that, uh, that God is like this loving and patient father, right, who, who wants the best for his children, um, even if it means punishing them, right? We, we said that a few minutes ago. And that's a means of showing his love, because he wants us to be right, and he wants to correct us and make us like, like him. So what we see here in these verses, to me, is a, what I'm seeing anyway, and what the, the application I want to draw from it, is that it's a good model for us as well, okay? Not that we can make somebody leprous, we can't do that, but it's a good model for how we should handle situations, I think, okay? So even if it requires acting very suddenly sometimes in our, own, in our own lives. The first thing we notice, a couple things in these verses, first thing we notice is one, that he talks to them. Okay, God talks to the accused, talks to, to Miriam and Aaron. So he hears this conversation that they're having, and the first thing he does is calls them out. He calls them to himself. He says, y'all come here. Okay, you three come here to me. Do we not say that? We say that. All right, so he calls, them, he calls them out. And let me just say this. Would that not be terrifying? I mean, it's one thing to hear my dad say it, like when I'm little. It's a complete other thing to think God said that. You come here, like now. Like, wow, okay. That would scare me to death. And I've often said I want God to intervene. I want him to speak audibly to me. Not like that. Not like that at all. 
And here's another thing, too. I was wondering why Moses was being called out um, with them because he hadn't done anything wrong. He's just kind of, he's kind of there. And, and I remember thinking that he wasn't even involved in the conversation. Um, so I don't even know that he was aware of what was going on. He may have been, he may not have been, I'm not sure. But I do think that, that God wants him there so that Moses can see, hey, this is how you need to handle situations because he's the leader of the people. And let me tell you, there is complaining galore with this crowd. All right, they don't like nothing. They're not satisfied with nothing. They're, it's bad, okay? So he's got a lot of stuff to deal with. So I think God is wanting to give him a little bit of insight into how to handle situations. And also, I think he's trying to just embolden Moses, okay? He's gonna, because he goes to bat for Moses here. He gives a lot of credit to who he is and what he's doing and what God's called him to. So I think he's trying to embolden him as well, just to give him an extra boost of confidence to say, hey man, I'm on your side. You are my man, okay? So I think there's some of that going on as well. But nonetheless, God calls them all together. He talks to them. He explains to them what they were doing wrong, what, their, what was going on with their, their conversation there. He reminds them, he reminds them, I'm the one in control because they're questioning Moses' call and they're questioning, is he the only one that God can use? Right? Because God has used Moses, I mean, uh, Aaron and Miriam as well in a variety of different ways, but not like he's done Moses. So, He's the one, God is reminding them, I'm the one that calls these prophets. I'm the one that speaks to them in visions and dreams, and, and I'm the one that reveals myself to them. But I even do it differently with Moses. And y'all know this. They, Miriam and Aaron would know this as well. Because remember, they're brother and sister. They've been around. Miriam was a crucial part of Moses even being alive. You know, she went when they put him in the basket and put him out in the river. She was the one there that when the princess found him or the, the princess of Pharaoh or whatever found him and was like, hey, I know somebody that can nurse him and all that kind of stuff. She was a very crucial part. Aaron was the one that Moses was like, no, God, not me. You know, I can't do this. I don't talk good. Da, 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 da. Aaron. And then God said, okay, Aaron can go with you. So Aaron, they're both very, very crucial parts of the stuff, and they know what God has done with Moses as well because they've been there throughout the whole process of him leading the people out of Egypt. So God still asks him, he says, why are you, why then, you know this, why then are you not afraid to speak against my man, the one whom I've called? Why are you not afraid to do that? Okay, so you see again, God is not looking for an opportunity to zap them down. All right, he is looking to correct them, to correct their thinking, to steer them the right way. Okay, so I'm saying here that this is a lesson that we should learn as well, that we should learn, and I think especially for parenting, especially when we're trying to raise up children, um, not to react too quickly. And I am guilty, guilty, guilty of that. I will, in a second, snap, poof, and something will be done. And then I'll be like, I'm sorry, y'all. You know, so instead of stopping, calling them out, talking to them, that kind of thing, we don't want to do that all the time. And these kind of situations often arise around the Honeycutt house, and we need, we need to talk to them. Carly and Kelsey, we've got a two-and-a-half and a, a nine-year-old, you know, and they need to be trained, and they need to be taught, and we want them to do rightly, okay? But in order for them to do that, we need to, they need to understand what's wrong, what they've done wrong, right? They need to be questioned about things so that they understand what the situation is. So in order for them to really learn what they need to do and learn what they had been doing was wrong even, 
sometimes we have to sit them down and talk to them and not just go in with a punishment. Okay? And let me tell you, if you think it's difficult to sit down with a two-and-a-half-year-old and explain that kind of thing, try it with a nine-year-old. Now, I know that sounds backwards, but good gracious, man, a nine-year-old is able to cognitively think about things, and whew, that can be tough. Anyway, I do believe that God is putting a model here for us to think about and how we can handle situations as well. And not just with parenting either. I think it's with any interpersonal relationship. Talk about it. Talk about it. Share with each other. Talk about what's going on. What happened here? Why is that wrong? What happened there? That kind of thing. Now, in no way am I saying that the talking should take place of the punishment. Okay? I'm not saying that at all. I'm thinking the punishment has to follow the talking and it needs to be handled quickly. It needs to be done swiftly, all right, suddenly even sometimes. But that's, and that's what happens next. That's exactly what happens next in these verses. In verses 9 and 10, that's what we see. So we see after this talk that they had with God, God is angry, all right? God is not happy at this moment. He is very angry with them. I don't know what, other than them questioning Moses and his call, it doesn't say that they responded to God. It doesn't say that they tried to make excuses or anything. All it says is the anger of the Lord burned against them. That is another place I do not want to be. Okay? I do not want to be there if I can help it. So they, they, they finish this talk. God is angry with them. He cannot abide where sin is. He, he cannot be where sin is. So he has to step in, especially when it's among the leaders of his people. These are the spiritual leaders of those people, all right? So he has to step in. He has to call them out. He has to explain what was wrong with what they were doing and what they were thinking. And then comes the punishment. The punishment does come right after that. It was made apparent because Miriam gets stricken with this leprous disease. All right, now we automatically think leprosy and like limbs falling off and stuff like that. But the Hebrew word for leprosy in the Old Testament is a word for any kind of skin disease. So we really don't know for sure what kind of skin disease it was. All we know is it was obvious. I mean, it was like, you look at her and you know something has just happened. All right, so God strikes her with this leprosy. And uh, again, the type of leprosy it was, type of the disease it was, whatever, is not really what's important, okay? We, we could get bogged down in trying to find those kind of details out, but I don't think that's what's important what's important is one that God was angry two that he had talked to him about it and three that he punished them for it okay punished them for whatever was going on there for what was what was happening and that has to be the case as well when I have to punish our daughters they again they need to know they need to understand what they're being punished for you don't want to just walk in throw a punishment down and walk out they'd be like whoa what just happened there? What, what, what was that for? You know, because they may or may not even realize they were doing anything wrong. Most of the time, they are very clearly understanding that they're doing something wrong. All right? I'm not denying that. But nonetheless, they have to know. And it's a lesson, it's a lesson I had to learn myself, okay, on a numerous, numerous occasions. And the most memorable for me where it actually happened in opposite, where it wasn't the talk and then the punishment. It was the punishment, then the talk. <laughs> and it was with my granddad. Oddly enough, it wasn't even my dad. But my grandparents' house, we, we, that we were there all the time. That's where we lived pretty much, um, during the summer especially. But my granddad was out in the yard, and they had a swing out there. And he had a friend of his over, Mr. Coy Wood. I will never forget it. He was his hunting buddy. 
all that kind of stuff. They're sitting on the swing, and I'm out there with them, and I smarted off to my granddaddy about something. That was not wise, okay? Because the next thing I remember is I'm picking myself up off the ground, right? literally. I mean, it was like I said whatever it was, pow, and I'm picking myself up. And it was like, now you, you know not to do that anymore, right? <laughs> That's when the conversation happened. So I've had to learn these lessons myself, and that came very suddenly, let me tell you, all right? That came very, very suddenly. Now, another question that comes up in, in this chapter here is, why was Miriam the only one that was punished? Right? Because Aaron didn't have leprosy. Aaron didn't get stricken with any kind of disease. It was just Miriam. She's the only one that, that got it. And I think the reason is, she was really the ringleader. I picture her being the head of the conversation back in verse 1. She's the one doing the talking. Um, she's the one doing the talking. And when you read that and, and you do a little bit of, of digging and stuff, you find out that the, the verb tense there, when it says spoke against in verse 1, that Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses, the verb spoke against there is actually female or feminine in uh, language. I don't understand all this. I read this, okay, because I am not. I mean, you ain't hiding nothing from God, right? I mean, that's me. So I don't, I don't know the grammar stuff. But anyway, from what I read, that's in the feminine, so it leads everybody to believe that it's Miriam that's the one heading up this conversation. She's the instigator. She's the one driving it. She's the one dropping the seeds and planting the seeds and all that kind of stuff, and Aaron even. Okay, so that's why we believe that she is the one that got stricken. She was the leader. She was the ringleader of the conversation. But regardless of the fact that Miriam really took a brunt of the punishment in that whole situation, regardless of that, it, it affects Aaron greatly as well. Okay, and we'll see that in the next couple of verses there. But it affects him dramatically. So let's look at, um, let's look at those last, last few verses of chapter uh, 12 here, starting in verse 11. Then Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, O oh God, heal her, I pray. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterward she may be received again. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until Miriam was received again. Afterward, however, the people moved out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. All right, so in these, in these verses here, the next thing that we see is, I think, the real purpose for why the talk and the punishment and all that stuff had to happen. I think we see the real reason for that and uh, for God's sudden intervention in this situation. And I'm saying that this third point here is called repentance and restoration. All right, it's repentance and restoration that's the point behind God doing everything that he did okay was for them to repent and be restored because what we see is upon as soon as Aaron saw what had happened to Miriam as soon as he saw her he immediately turned to who Moses 
he turned to the very one that they were questioning who he was earlier, right? So they've learned a lesson, I do believe. Uh, they've learned, it, well, Aaron has at least. We don't really hear from Miriam anymore, but I got to believe she's probably learned her lesson too, most likely. But nonetheless, he sees her. He immediately turns to Moses, again, the one that he was just previously questioning with Miriam, Okay, and it's clear that he is alone or also taking responsibility for that sin himself as well. Okay, it could have been very easy that he would say, wow, look at what Miriam did and look at what she got for it. But he didn't. What does he say? He says, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly, in which we have sinned. So he knew he was party. He was party to what had happened with Miriam and I got to believe he probably being the the high priest and being the brother of her it probably should have gone more like this at the beginning she started talking and he probably should have said stop it you need to not go there God has called him we know God's called him we got to follow under that leadership and be done and just roll on but instead he didn't do that it's the same picture of what we get in the garden okay it's the same picture of what we get in the garden with with Eve being tempted and Adam he's right there He's right there. Could have stepped in and said something, but he didn't. And now everything downhill from there. All right? So, he was party to what was going on. He was not innocent in any way. Okay? And he knew that. He knew that at that moment, that he was responsible, just as responsible as Miriam was. And there were some other reasons, too, that you, if you read commentators as to why he didn't get punished, too. One of them said it's because he's the high priest. If he had been stricken with leprosy, he would have been disqualified from the priesthood, and that would have just done all kind of stuff there. So there's a, a number of reasons why. Um, but I think the predominant reason is Miriam was the primary culprit, and Aaron was just following along, and then he just admits his own guilt in it as well. But the point is, I think the point is here that we see immediate repentance on the part of the guilty party. Instantaneous repentance. He's turning, and I know what we did. I admit our guilt. What we did was wrong. Okay, he knew they had done wrong. He admitted that guilt. They were made aware of their wrongdoing and who they had wronged, and that led to their repentance. And then Moses, then Moses responds like a loving brother would do. Okay, like a loving, God-fearing brother would do. He sees their situation. He sees their plight, and what does he do? He prays to God. He immediately turns to God and says, God, please heal her. Me, in that situation, I'm like, no. You got what you got. It's, I mean, that's what I would have done. I, I do that. I'm telling you, y'all, I do that with the girls way too much anyway. Carly, it happened yesterday. Carly playing in the house. She hurt herself. What I do? Uh-huh. That's what you get. That's, that's what I do. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's good. But that's what I do. And that's what I would have done in that situation right there. But instead, Moses, being the man that God has called him to be, he turns to God. Because that's what Moses' responsibility is in any way. He is the mediator between Israel, God's people, and God. That's his responsibility. He's the one the Ten Commandments came through. He is the one that, that delivered the people out of Egypt. He, he is all that. He is a picture of Jesus. That's what he does. Jesus intercedes on our behalf. Moses intercedes on our behalf regardless of the wrong that was done to him. 
Okay, we see a picture of the gospel there. It's a beautiful picture of the love and forgiveness that comes from someone who understands grace and understands their position, understands what they're to do. Like I said, it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of Jesus. And then what was, what was God's response to Moses then? He, he says that Miriam has got to suffer the consequences for this sin. He doesn't immediately fix it and heal her, right? He doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. It does sometimes. I'm not going to deny that it will happen sometimes when we pray for somebody, immediate healing can happen. It doesn't happen all the time, okay? There's a lesson she's got to learn here, all right? But here's the thing. He leaves her with tremendous hope, all right? She's not left in her situation to just be left there and die. I mean, she had to leave the camp. She could not go back into the camp in her situation. But God said, seven days she'll be restored. Seven days she can come back. Now, I don't know if there's something significant about the seven days or anything. I think it's got something to do with Hebrew um, ritual and stuff, the way they, they, they did the cleansing and all that kind of stuff. But the point is, the point of all that is, she was left with hope. She was not left hopeless. Like, I've sinned, I've been punished, and now I'm damned forever. That's not how it was left. It was, I've sinned, I've, I've been punished, but I can be restored. I can be reconciled. I can be, be brought back into the family. Okay, now this is a very, very good thing. All right? Having our life, even when it happens to us, having our life interrupted and God suddenly showing up in our own life to correct us, to fix some wrong that we have done, to discipline us for some reason because we've sinned, or to even enact some sort of punishment on us, it is a good thing. It is a good thing, and it is for our benefit. That's the hard part for us to get our hands around. We think God is against us when we get punished. That's not the case at all. I don't punish my children because I'm against them. I punish them because I want them to do right. It's the same thing with God. And the fact that he does that, the fact that God loves us so much, the fact that he intervenes in our lives and he steps in and he sets things right, I'm telling you, it is a good thing. Look at me. Let's look at one last section of Scripture here. Let's look at one last thing really quickly. And I want to just drive this point home that it is good for God to come after us like that. All right, look at Hebrews chapter 12. You, know, you don't have to flip there or anything. You can jot it down. It'll be on the screen. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, the last part of first, verse 5, and then verse number 6. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says here. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is a good thing, y'all. It may not be fun. It may not be glorious in the moment. But the hope that comes from it and the fact that it reminds us that God loves us, it is a good, good thing. The discipline of the Lord is a proof test that you are one of his. It's a way of knowing I am one of his. 
If you go and you're sinning and you just, you sin and you sin and you sin, there's no problem and there's no consequence and there's no nothing for it, there's a good chance you may not even be one of his. You need to examine that. You need to check that up because if you're his, he's coming after you. He is going to come after you. Are you flowing with that? <laughs> Hebrews 12 goes on to say this as you continue reading through that chapter. And I don't, I, we're not going to have these on the screen, but this is what it says. The discipline of the Lord is for our good. It's for our good that we may share in his holiness. What did we say at the beginning? God does these things to bring us along, to make us like him, right? That's the point. That's the purpose is to make us spotless, blameless, holy. That's what he wants to do. That's what the discipline of the Lord does. It makes us holy. It helps us to share in his holiness. And it produces righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So there's a learning that has to happen. You know, you, you do something wrong, you get punished, you learn from that, you don't do it again, right? You turn away from it, you repent, you turn away from that, and you don't do those things anymore, as much as you can anyway. So our responsibility really in the whole thing is to respond, to respond to the discipline and the chastening of God, Okay, to listen to him when he speaks to us, to repent of our sins and to turn to Jesus for our salvation and for everything else in our lives as well. And then be restored into right relationship with God, to be brought back into the camp again. That was the hope that Miriam was left with. She wasn't left just hanging out there. So what I want to do now, I just want to ask everybody just... Bow your heads, close your eyes, and just, I just want to think. I just want us to think. I want to give you a chance to respond. I just want to give you a chance to respond to the things that God has maybe opened your heart to today, um, the truths that we have seen and read about in this chapter. And before we pray, I, I just want you to respond. I want you to think through some of this. Is God... Is God calling you to come meet him for a conversation? Is that where you are currently? Is there something there and is God calling you to meet you, to meet him for a conversation that you need to have? Do you need to stop and listen to him and hear what he has to say to you? Is that where you are this morning? Are you in the middle of, do you need to embrace even or endure some discipline or correction or punishment that God has you in right now? Remember that you may share in his holiness for your good. Have you already had the conversation? Has the, has the punishment been delivered? And do you need to have that hope of restoration? Do you need to repent of some sin because you understand the discipline that has come down, the punishment that has come down because God has suddenly stepped into your life so that you can be restored to him. Do you need to repent of that? And maybe all this is just completely foreign to you because you're not even in the family. You're not even, you're not a believer. You don't know Jesus. You don't know what, you don't even understand what this discipline stuff is all about. Do you need to repent of your sin? Do you need to come to Christ 
this morning? Do you need to embrace the gospel? And I just want to encourage you right now as we take just a couple minutes that any of those things, you can do them, you can work through them right now. You can pray to receive Jesus. You can accept him as your savior. You can repent of your sin. You can say, God, help me to endure this discipline until I'm restored. You can say, God, yes, I'm ready to have that conversation. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. So just take a moment and reflect and respond to that. And then the host, the host team, the praise team will come and uh, lead us in one more song after I, after I pray for us. Father God, we come this morning, we, uh, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, as, as Rick prayed earlier, hallowed be your name. Lord, you are glorious, you are amazing. We thank you, Father, that you are so patient with us. Lord, that you're not a tyrant up there seeking to wield your power and strike us down for every little thing that we do wrong God we thank you for your patience your love your grace and your mercy that you extend to us even when you're angry God your grace abounds we praise you for that we thank you for the conversations that you want to have where you want to teach us you want to show us the right way and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do and Father, I pray that you would just open our hearts to hear that, to listen to that, to heed those warnings, to talk with you. Father, it's hard to say, but we thank you for the punishment that you give us as well, that steers us right, that, that, that teaches us what we've done wrong, that we may not do it again, Lord, that we may respond to that in repentance. Thank you. For that Lord and then ultimately Father we praise you and we glorify your name for the fact that you do restore us you do not leave us hopeless you knew that we couldn't fix all this on our own Lord so you sent Jesus and he took the complete and total wrath that you had for sin and everything with it Lord and he bore all that on the cross that we may be saved. And I pray, God, this morning that nobody would leave this place not knowing that truth. Father, I just pray that you would work and move in the life of Anthem Church in this congregation. Father, those that are not with us today that are typically with us, Lord, I pray for everyone. I pray, Lord, that you work in our hearts and our lives. I pray that you do show up suddenly 
in all kind of ways, even in this way, Lord, that we've talked about today. Father, that we may be one day found spotless, blameless before you. Father, we thank you. We praise you. And it's in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please stand as the praise team leads us in one more song.